Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Hey, welcome to another episode of AWSP TV. We are super excited to have in our studios today a special guest, Sean Good from Choose 180. Sean, thanks for being here. Oh, what an honor. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, we're just excited that you took the time to drive all the way down from up north on that I-5 corridor to come to Olympia. <laughs> well, I did tell somebody that I might come back with Voodoo Donuts from Portland. That's how it feels sometimes when you make it to Olympia. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, right on. We appreciate you being here. I'm grateful. So, Sean, why don't you start out with just a little intro to what exactly is Choose 180 yeah. and maybe how you came to be. Yeah, um, so Choose 180 is a nonprofit organization and we transform systems, communities, and lives through choice. Um, and each one of those pillars are incredibly significant to us because we believe that if we're just transforming lives, then we're not doing anything to change the reason why the lives are in the situation they're in in the first place. Mm -hmm. And really we are, then we by virtue of neglect become an organization that just profits off of young people suffering. And we believe that it's imperative that we're also working on transforming the system and the community that young people are engaging in. And we do that in really cool strategic relationships with superintendents, principals, prosecutors, um, public defenders, and court officials that allow us to engage young people at really critical moments, um, work with them, help them commit to a new direction for their lives, and give them the support necessary to honor that commitment to change. We really operate in large part like an emergency room where we triage young people in these really critical moments, help them get well enough, and then connect them with primary care and specialty providers throughout the community to help them manage that commitment they've made to themselves. Right on. Well, we believe so much in what you're doing. Thank you. That uh, uh, my dream would be choose 180 is in every school. Um, you know, you, my dream too. Um, my wife, in fact, I say this and she rolls her eyes when I say it, but I believe in a future where every young person has the opportunity to choose 180. And then she says, do you know how much work that's going to be? And I'm like, yeah, but so worth it and so necessary. Yeah, isn't it great to think about what's possible in the system versus uh -huh. what's impossible? Right. Yeah, we, we, we have words that we don't use around the office. One of them is problem. Right? Everything's a possibility or an opportunity. We don't do problems at all. Let's use 180. Right on. So when did that light bulb moment happen for you? I mean, when did you go, wow, this is my direction? Um, man, I've had so many pivot moments in life that I can think of. I mean, I, to consider, you know, I grew up in a really complicated household where um, my father was a Vietnam War vet, um, returned with a drug addiction, and then developed schizophrenia. Um, and because he was a black man in that era, he didn't necessarily get the mental health treatment or the medical treatment necessary for him to be healthy and whole. And he ended up unemployed and engaging in illegal activities as a result, and he met my mother who was abused at home, um, ran away. In the midst of her abuse, developed uh, multiple personality disorders, what it was called then, now it's dissociative identity disorder. And um, the two of them found each other and decided to have a child. Um, and, and being the, the only child between the two of them, but the sibling of three others who, my brother served juvenile life for an offense he committed when he was a 14 year old in Tacoma meaning he was in the justice system from 14 to 21. Mm -hmm. um, I had a sister who grew in and up out of really compromising um, places because of my father's addiction. 
and another sister who was a teen runaway um, and never returned home um, and ended up staying with friends and family friends because she just couldn't stand living in the house. Um, and then there's me. Um, and my story is in large part a story of people seeing me when I couldn't see myself, believing in me when I didn't believe anything else was possible, and hoping beyond hope that I'd be able to turn this thing around. Um, whether that was my mother who was the burden of so much of my anger and rage as, uh, as, a, as a child and, and still prayed and, and, and looked at me as a possibility and not a problem. Or my brother when he was released from serving his sentence um, who came to the house and saw that I was um, beginning to engage in the same risky behavior that he was engaging in and saw me as a possibility and not a problem. Or the high school counselor that, or the, it was the middle school counselor who said, like, you should be in the IB program at the high school level, who saw me as a possibility and not a problem. Um, there's been so many different people at critical moments that have helped me pivot well because they didn't see me as a problem. And I had all of the ACEs types of things that you could look at that would make me a problem in your classroom. Um, and yet people still saw me with, through the lens of hope and possibility. And, and that's what we get to do as an organization, to see young people in that way. Yeah, and it, studying your company, it looks like you went from a one-person shop <laughs> to an operating budget of over a million dollars now um, yeah. to do this work. What's your presence in the state right now? How many schools are you uh, starting to crack into our districts? Yeah, yeah, that, it's been a crazy two and a half years. Um, I, let, me, let me first say this, is that the organization began in 2011, and it began because Dan Satterberg, the King County prosecuting attorney, reached out to a community member named Doug Wheeler, and really it was focused on young people who were engaging with the justice system. Mm -hmm. And together they collaborated to create at that time what was called the 180 program. And for much of its history, it was staffed by two um, program directors, and the board kind of served as an executive director. And in 2016, they decided to take those two program director roles, fold them into one, and create an ED role. And that's when I started in January 2017 as a lonely guy in the office wondering what I just got <laughs> myself into. Um, and, and, we, and when I got into that position, we quickly began to scale um, some of our work to serve young adults in addition to the youth. But what we saw was what it is I've always known, is the young people who are in the justice system didn't just wake up and start um, having behavior that was problematic. Right. Like this began earlier on, and that there was moments to intervene earlier on. Um, just nobody was there to do it. Because our traditional way of being and suspending and expelling doesn't necessarily create the space for a restorative practice. It just creates the space for classrooms to be managed a little bit tighter. And for the young people who are having the greatest challenges to be put in a position where they're not impacting other young people's learning um, and, and ability to learn. So districts are striving yeah. to reduce their suspensions. Yeah, yeah. And they're massive efforts. It's been fantastic to watch mm -hmm. this slow transformation in yeah. the K-12 system. Yeah. You talk about that sweet spot of intervening mm -hmm. on kids. Mm -hmm. When you look at the K-12 system, where do you think we are lacking as a system sure. where we need to provide space and time and relationships for us to intervene. Yeah, it, it's complicated um, because I, I I think about what a teacher's responsibility is in a classroom where they're dealing with 25, 30 plus students, and um, they're accountable to those students achieving particular learning goals and that being measured out at different times throughout the course of the year. And the the administrator of the building being held accountable to creating a space for the teachers to do that 
Meanwhile, wanting to make sure that it's a culture that allows all students to be able to learn and flourish. And it's so difficult for students who are coming in with so many barriers to be able to acclimate to those spaces and quickly jump in and begin to learn. I don't know how many mornings I didn't have breakfast. Mm -hmm. um, and I was certainly free, reduced lunch all the way through. And, and, and what it would take me some mornings to even get out of bed to get to school. I remember I missed my freshman year of high school. I feel like I missed almost more days than I actually attended. And this was pre-Becca, and so nobody was really checking for me at all. Sure. Um, but like, there's, it's so complicated for young people coming from at-risk communities to show up to space to be fully present and fully available and fully ready to engage. And as a result, it really requires a lot of intentional relationship building that in earnest, not every teacher has the capacity to do while maintaining their classroom, while delivering on a curriculum, which is why it's so imperative to partner intentionally with community so we can be a part of those spaces and build those relationships and bridge them back to the teachers and the administrators so young people who are having a hard time engaging are more willing to do so. So right now it's your team yeah. leading the show, which is awesome. What would be your message to principals out there who are watching this video yeah. who maybe can't get you in right away mm -hmm. or don't have access to some of the resources? What would be your advice to them as, as maybe some baby steps to take sure. in, in reimagining how they sure. approach kids that are bringing all that trauma sure. to school? Sure. First of all, I'll say is um, when, when people ask me about criminal justice issue stuff, I regularly tell them that behavior only becomes criminal when law enforcement gets involved. Um, and otherwise, it's just behavior. And um, young people who are in classroom spaces that are demonstrating at-risk behavior typically aren't doing it because they have some malice in their heart. And they just showed up today, and today is going to be the day where they're going to be a terror. There's so many other things going unaddressed in that young person's life that if not tended to, it, it's not going to create the space for them to fully engage. I mean, if, if, we, if we look at this as a public health issue, which it is really truly in its essence, if you have a young person that shows up with measles, right, you're not going to just quarantine that young person and put them away until they're cured all by themselves. You may quarantine them, but you're going to do it in a way where they're getting the support needed to be healthy and whole. Our practice historically has been quarantine and leave alone, and hopefully they get better. So what I'd encourage districts and caring deeply for young people who are challenged and struggling and having behavioral issues is to see each one as one um, and not criminalize it or turn it into a disciplinary issue, but turn it into a, a, an opportunity to find out what else is going on in that young person's life and how else the community can support that young person in being whole. And as the community rallies around that young person, then they can participate in the school environment knowing that they're not alone. Well, when you were describing uh, the character traits of adults leaning into kids' lives yeah. like that, um, I can't help but think of the principles that we have serving in our state. Mm -hmm. um, these are principles who do that on a daily basis yeah. for kids. And oftentimes they're pigeonholed into tough spots mm -hmm. of needing to support the adults who aren't having a great day or it's a combination of the kids and the adults not having a great day. Yeah. Uh, the principles are thrown right into the middle of that. Yeah. Um, they may not be able to have you mm -hmm. come in. I mean, we've got to figure out a way to clone you, for starters, but we'll, that's maybe another episode. You're a really great science teacher for that. Okay. So until we can clone you uh -huh. and get your army of Choose 180 folks all over the state, um, 
What are some basic steps that you yeah. could give or advice you can give sure. to the principal that's watching this right now that's in rural eastern Washington mm -hmm. that says, I don't have community resources. I don't have this um, people nearby me mm -hmm. to help me do this. What, what would be some um, guideposts or things that you can give them to hang on to, to maybe change the philosophy or the approach in the sure. building? Yeah. Well, first I'd say it, it starts with a conversation. Um, one of my dear friends, Tim, who's the principal at Taiyi High School in the Highland Public Schools, we were just sitting down having a conversation before we even started our school-based work. It didn't exist, but we were looking at discipline data and asking the question of how many of these particular offenses could have had a different result if somebody was there to partner with them. So I'd, I'd, I'd ask that the principals in rural places like where my nephews and nieces go to high school in Colville or where my mother lives in Chihuahua, right, where there is a lack of resources, and yet and still, there isn't a lack of community folks who, still, who will see young people as possibilities. Yeah. So how do you leverage folks from outside the institution to be able to bring their gifts and their talents inside to help impact the culture of the building while at the same time lift up young people in vulnerable moments? I believe that just by seeing each young person as a possibility, and not leaning into the problems that they're creating opens up a wealth of opportunities for us to consider what's there. Um, there's, a, there's a book that I often teach with, and my, the teachers and principals that are watching are gonna enjoy this. I use it as a teaching tool. There was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Um, I don't know why she swallowed a fly. I think I'll die. Perhaps she'll die, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and the, the story goes from a fly to a spider, to a bird, to a cat, to a dog, to a cow, then to a horse, and she's dead, of course, right? And I ask people all over, what's the problem with this story? And what would you say the problem is? It's too long for me to read. Okay, well, that's, that, that, that's for someone that's a former <laughs> administrator, that's a challenge. No, but no, what would you say the problem is? Just uh, repeating the system over and over again. Yeah, there's that. Ultimately, what the problem is, is nobody dies from swallowing flies. So when you start out with a narrative right. that suggests the ultimate end is something dire, then we end up throwing and wasting resources on solutions that don't actually match what's actually being experienced. Right. What if we change the narrative from the beginning and said there was an old lady who swallowed a fly, she has more protein? We're done. Short book. Short book, right? But it's a possibility instead of a problem. There was a young person who was having discipline issues at school. Perhaps he needed breakfast. There was a young person who had a volatile moment in a classroom. Perhaps he needed a hug. There was a young person who missed seventh period every single day. Perhaps she's being trafficked. There's so many other ways to consider what's happening in young people's lives beyond the fact that they're just being disruptive in class. Yeah. So we're big proponents of tackling the system because what you're describing to me, Sean, really is um, a decade old system. And oftentimes it's referred to as the school to prison pipeline, sure. that system. Mm -hmm. Um, we'd love to change the system. Mm -hmm. You see it. You're out there in schools all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, what would be recommendations? I mean, if you could build a K-12 system through your lens, sure. what would it look like? Yeah. So, so <laughs> when that student does act up, uh -huh. we give them protein. Yeah. We yeah. give them a hug. What yeah. would that system yeah. look well, like? Well, first I'd say that I don't believe that we have system problems. I think we have people opportunities. Um, it's our conviction that systems are amoral and it's the variables within the system that carry the moral value which means that every teacher every administrator 
every superintendent has the opportunity to transform the way the thing operates if they change who they are as a person within the equation. That means there's a ton of power that's all across our state that could immediately change the outcomes. The opportunity lives in the culture that the folks that are variables are operating within. And sometimes that culture prohibits people from getting outside of the normal routine, which is why injecting organizations like ours into the equation not only helps the young people, but it also helps change the culture of the building, the space, the school district, so that way we begin to give young people hugs and protein and, and, and therapeutic practices instead of suspensions and expulsions. If I could have a, a perfect world, there would be teachers and administrators across our state that are stubbornly looking at each young person as an individual and not looking at them as a problem that needs to get removed from a space so the other students can learn and that the teachers would have the time and space to be able to do that, and that the administrators would have the support and the resources to be able to live fully into that. The way it presents itself today, there's so many challenges in the way that our schools are resourced and the ways that our schools are staffed that make that somewhat problematic, which is why I think those community partnerships are super important. And I don't just say that from somebody who stewards a nonprofit right. that works in schools. I say that as a, a father of a 17-year-old and an 11-year-old. A 17-year-old who, when he was in second grade at Grant Elementary and Tacoma schools, was told by his teacher that if he didn't change his behavior, him and the other brown kid in class would end up in prison. Like, what is, how do you tell a 7-year-old that and expect that to create behavioral change? It's incredibly disturbing to know that that was her response, mm -hmm. yet and still I know he's not alone and that there's kids across our state that are getting similar messages because teachers just don't know what else to say and they don't know how else to respond and they need the support necessary in order to give young people the support to be able to commit to a new direction. So have you seen examples out there where schools have addressed that timepiece? I, I think that when we get smaller classroom sizes, it's helpful. But with our current budget constraints at a state level and some of the things that have happened with local levies, it gets really messy and super complicated um, because we're not having a shortage of young people who need to go to school, but we're having classroom sizes that are growing with these young people that need their education. Um, what I have seen are really intentional partnerships with the community to lessen the burden mm -hmm. and leveraging dollars that are coming from other places across our state to be able to create that possibility within those schools. I mean, the work that we've been able to do in Highland Public Schools has been transformative, where when teachers are feeling that pressure, our staff are on site for young, to connect with young people and to have them participate in our programming in lieu of traditional suspension and expulsion and get the tools necessary to stay present in classroom spaces when it's tough and get connected with other adults on campus and in the community to support them when they're having a tough day. Do you know that principals are evaluated on eight criteria? One of them is called engaging the community. Hmm. This could be a great way for them to engage their community. Yeah, well, I will give every principal a checkbox <laughs> if they reach out to Choose 180 <laughs> as a step in engaging community. But it's so important. Um, schools can be the center of a community or they can be an island in and of themselves. So the opportunity for the administrator is how do you engage the people around you? Do you become an island or a center? Mm -hmm. you know, both of which have people who are there, but the way that those people engage with everything around them changes dramatically. You can ask Gilligan, the skipper too, all about that. <laughs> What's the number one thing you do with students? See them, 
as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't um, blame them for their behavior. Um, it's not that we excuse some of the negative consequences from their behavior, but nobody is a moment in their life. And each and every one of us have had moments that we'd like to get back. Right. And many of us, because of the privilege we were born into, have had the liberty of making some super poor choices and being able to live past them and beyond them. And not all of our young people have those or have that. Um, so the thing that we do primarily is we see young people as they are, absent of judgment, and get to know them for who they are and without taking in consideration of what they've done. Mm-hmm. None of us are the choices that we've made, regardless how poor they may be. There's so much more substance to who we are than just those decisions. Are you super intentional in helping the adults in the school system uh, change their language and yeah. how they talk about kids yeah. or refer to yeah. kids? Yeah. What's, what are some of the words or terms you guys yeah. use? So, it, it, so let me first say it's an evolution, right? Um, now, I wouldn't come to your house and tell you how to prepare dinner um, or how to call what it is you prepared, whatever it is that you made. Right. I would get to know you and we could spend time together and I could share with you why it is that I call spaghetti something else as an example, right? But it's still gonna be your choice to call it what you wanna call Mm -hmm. it. In the beginning stages of our relationships with the schools, we don't really think it's our job to come in and tell teachers how to teach or tell teachers the words to use or tell administrators this is what you need to do, this is how you need to do things different. Like any good relationship, we spend time getting to know each other and modeling the behavior that we'd like to see from our teachers and the behavior we'd like to see from our young people. And as that relationship grows and develops, then we have the type of equity we need to be able to talk about the semantics and what's the best way to talk to young people when they're in these critical moments. What are the best words to use? What's the best way to de-escalate and honor at the same time? What's the best way to support your teacher knowing that your teacher could have had their own traumatic experience before they even walked into the classroom, right? All these things matter, but absent of relationship, it doesn't stick. They're just words. Mm -hmm. It's another training, and we all know how many trainings teachers and administrators go to. We need more than training. We need relationships, and we need relationships that are consistent. Our young people need that. Our teachers need that. Our administrators need that. And our community partners need to be a part of the equation and need to be in that relationship as well. Nobody's ever heard me talk about relationships. I can't imagine. I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) But since you brought it up, um, the other piece of relationships that I think is so crucial is this notion of hope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you, how do you see hope playing into the system? I mean, how does Choose 180 um, infuse hope into what they do? Yeah, yeah, well, hope's the name of my 11-year-old daughter. Um, so when Interview I, over. Yeah, there it is. That's how I see hope. Okay. I see hope as an 11-year-old. <laughs> um, no, um, it, it's one of those difficult things because you can't quantify it. Um, and we love to measure, right? Um, and it looks different in the eyes of the young person who's seeing it. Um, I think it's important that we understand that there's a whole bunch of young people who have never experienced it before. Right. And we often take for granted the strength and resiliency required to be hopeful. Um, There was a period of time in my life where I was homeless, sleeping in the Home Depot parking lot before I'd go in for a part-time shift in the morning. And when I'd walk through the aisles in my orange apron, 
I would give people high fives and say happy Monday, happy Tuesday, happy Wednesday, happy Thursday, happy Friday, happy whatever day it was, knowing that the night before I just slept in my car in the Home Depot parking lot. Um, I had hope. I had a hope that was founded in a truth that I believed unapologetically that the circumstances of this moment did not define the trajectory of my life. Um, that hope was a byproduct of all the many people throughout the course of my life that spoke possibility into me and refused to limit me to the constrictions of the problems that I could pose for them at any given moment. So when we talk about hope, I t I'll tell you, it can take a moment to evolve or it could take a lifetime. But the minute that we lose it, the minute that we stop embracing it, and the minute that we stop implementing it as the best tool that anybody working with young people has in their toolbox, we lose. Not just that young person, but a generation of young people, and then a future that could be so much greater if we simply took the time to hope. So I dream that one day hope will be part of the school report card, yeah. um, and that schools are measured by culture mm -hmm. um, and hope. Mm -hmm. So I do believe it's something we can quantify and qualify if we are using the right indicators. Mm -hmm. um, because if we have kids coming to school or waking up in the morning, mm -hmm. knowing that they're going to come have a relationship, mm -hmm. authentic, true, unconditional love relationship with adults, mm -hmm. we can change the system. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think yeah. anything's possible. And, and what's most powerful about what you said is that the adults could be different and that could change the system. That doesn't require legislation. That doesn't require an excess amount of funding. It just requires the adults to show up different, and then everything is different. Yeah, everything's possible. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So, if you could have like a 30 second or minute long elevator speech to kick off a district-wide Welcome back to the district. Mm -hmm. You got every adult that's in the system, from bus drivers to front office yeah. to teachers, administrators, yeah. and you're the keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. And you're kicking off their year. Mm -hmm. What's your message to them? Yeah. My message is that each and every one of you matter. That each and every one of you are significant. Whether you're the person in the cafeteria line that's putting the, the tater tots on the lunch tray, whether you're the bus driver that woke up early to get to the bus station to be able to get in that yellow bus to get to throughout the neighborhood, whether you're the teacher that greets them, whether you're um, the para that's in the classroom that's supporting, whether you're the translator that's helping the family understand what it takes to be able to be a part of the school day, whether you're the principal, the vice principal, whether you're the wealth of other specialists that live and thrive and support a school community, Everything you do matters, from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. It doesn't matter the size or the conviction of what you think is behind that moment, that movement. Everything matters. And you are the most important person within the educational system. Each and every one of you carry absolute equal value. And if you are in a space where you can show up as your whole self each and every day, then who you are is good enough to change the trajectory of every young person that walks through your door. So the choice is truly yours. Will you bring your whole self to that space? Your vulnerability, your personhood, your convictions, your love, 
your passion? Will you bring everything that's a part of your being to the classroom, to the office, to the bus, to the cafeteria line? And in doing so, allow us to have an educational system that's transformed, changed, and creates the type of results and impact that we need? Or will you leave part of yourself at home and in doing so, not allow our young people to fully experience your brilliance? The choice is yours, but with your whole self, we can change the whole thing. I kind of feel like I want to stand behind you and go, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Um, what a great message. 295 districts, imagine if they heard that message. Well, Imagine if 295 districts had a movement through their system of changing the adult culture. Yeah, we can do it. We can. Yeah, it's absolutely possible. It just requires a commitment to consider what's possible. Well, we're hoping a lot of people watch this video, mm -hmm. um, learn a little bit more about you and um, your company, mm -hmm. uh, but more importantly, your mission yeah. in, a, in our system. Yeah. Um, I've got one more question for you. Yeah, one more answer. Okay. So nobody comes into our studio without getting this question. Okay. We're big believers on the important role principles pay in the system. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, they're the number two influence on student achievement, but I think they're the number two influence on the kids who need us the most mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's where a lot of kids get sent to is the principal. Mm -hmm. I can't stand the connotation when I ask people, hey, who was your favorite principal? And they say, oh, I don't know any principals because I was a good kid. Yeah. No, I think everybody yeah. should know their principal. Yeah. So can you think of whether it's your own experience through mm -hmm. the system or watching your kids go through the system, mm -hmm. do you have a favorite principal? Uh, who <laughs> was that person and why? Well, my favorite, my first answer to this is any principal that brings us into their school and allows Choose 180 to be a part of your community, um, you're my favorite principal. <laughs> um, but, uh, but second to that, Jenny Cooper um, in Tacoma Public Schools um, was Samuel's principal at Grant Elementary and she was an absolute gift. Um, she saw Samuel and believed in Samuel and even through some difficult behavioral times was there to support Samuel and be a champion of Samuel. And not just Samuel, but the teachers that were, you know, that had stewardship over him during the school day. Yeah. Um, and when we had that, the complicated time with, she was an advocate for us as a family and helped us understand the nature of why we have teachers like that that still exist within the district and she served as a beautiful buffer to help us make it through that year and find great teachers to support him throughout his time at Grant. Um, Jenny Cooper is a gift to Tacoma Public Schools and I will forever be grateful for the impact she had on my son and our family. Right on. What a great story. We think of all of our principals as, as gifts mm -hmm. to our kids and that's a great example. Yeah. Well, we uh, can't thank you enough again for being here today. We really thank appreciate you. it. Um, you let us know if there's anything we can do. Yeah. Um, we're hoping just our time here together will help you uh, launch and have an even bigger impact in our state. Um, so thanks again for being here. No, I'm honored and, um, and, and grateful for the opportunity to share our cause and furthermore to encourage some of the principals and teachers out there. Um, you're not alone and we can do this together. Yeah. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of AWSP TV. Sean Good from uh, Choose 180. You know how to find him. See you next time. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>